Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to an Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast interview. I'm Chiaki, and Mitsugi is here with me, and we have two authors with us, which, as you everyone knows, I'm quite excited about. I love getting to talk to fellow authors. With us today is Stephen Savage and Bonnie Walling, and they wrote Her Eternal Moonlight, which is a book about Sailor Moon coming out, and I will let them introduce themselves and let us know something that they want us to know. Well, I'm Steve Savage. I'm one of the uh, two authors on the project. And um, we basically decided um, in a late night con conversation, wouldn't it be great if someone wrote a book on Sailor Moon and then realized we decided to do it. And then we wrote a book. This is one of those late night conversations that turned out to be very dangerous. It's always nice when someone comes up with an interesting idea and then follows through with it. Something, something born of the anime con spirit, I guess. Bonnie? Yes, it was most definitely born of the anime con spirit. Uh, we basically were wondering, why has nobody done an examination of the Sailor Moon fandom before? Because we'd seen books examining other fandoms. You'd think that Sailor Moon would be obvious um, because it had been around for so long. And yet no one had done this. And that inevitably led to us saying, well, why don't we do it? And we noticed that it seemed, especially the experience of the female fans was ignored. And we later found in some writings on anime history almost belittled. So we focused on how Sailor Moon impacted the female fans and basically did a series of interviews, studied the patterns, and found some very distinct patterns that echoed from person to person. So in, a book. in your book, you interview 30 fans uh, from across the country. Now, how are these interviews presented in the book? Is it presented as more of a culmination of findings that you've uh, from across each of the interviews, similarities, or are they examined one at a time, almost like personal stories with the Sailor Moon franchise? I would definitely say patterns. Oh, sorry. Go on, Bonnie. Yeah, we ended up grouping it into nine chapters, each chapter organized around a different topic. As we went through the interviews, we started to see patterns emerging of different experiences that people were having that were basically common. Um, And then we sat around and we figured out what the themes were. As it turns out, we had nine themes, one for each senshi. We did not plan it that way. It just happened. I want to note this. There were originally seven, but we started finding subdivisions. (laughs) Yes. But but I will note, as a bonus, each chapter has a lame Sailor Moon-type parody title, such as A Sparkling Wide Cast or Cyber Rhapsody. Very nice. That's the... But yeah, um, I'd say Bonnie, we, what we did find was weird is these nine patterns stood out and almost everyone we interviewed participated in more than one of them. So after a while, we realized the Sailor Moon fandom experience for women was very archetypical. You say, yes, you say in the description of the book that it's a tale for and about women who don't play by familiar rules. In this description, would you say the the primary people who will enjoy this book, are they going to be uh, women Sailor Moon fans? Are they going to be just general anime fans? Who really should should pick up this book, and who's going to have the greatest connection with its contents? 
Well, I'd actually say um, definitely female Sailor Moon fans, but there's more. Sorry I interrupted you there, Bonnie. No, go ahead. Well, it, I think definitely the female fans of Sailor Moon, but Bonnie, I'd definitely say more because we've had people generally interested in anime curious about this because the, the 90s is like sometimes this gap where, you know, we hear about a few anime, but we don't get in some of the depth, at least when anime is discussed today. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, um, I think that... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. I think that (laughs) anyone that was an anime... Sorry. (laughs) I think anyone that was an anime fan in the 90s is going to find some definite value in this book because the anime boom of the 90s and early 2000s or aughts or whatever you'd call that decade, um, the decade after the 90s, um, if you weren't a Sailor Moon fan directly, chances are you had some contact with the fandom because the fandom was just so big and so far reaching. Right. No, in the, in the late, in the early two thousands and, and kind of toward the middle, we saw a lot of books being published exploring the phenomena that was anime in that in that mid to late 90s bubble. You had Susan J. Napier published the anime from Akira's to Howl's Moving Castle novel mm-hmm. that really kind of explored anime and its subgenres and its impact on its viewers. You had Hayao Miyazaki, Master of Japanese Anime, mm-hmm. Helen McCarthy, that was 1999. You had Patrick Drazen, who since wrote a follow-up book to Anime Explosion. Um, the original book was published in 2002, and the last book was published as recently as 2014. Why, why this? Why now? Because now we're further away from from that bubble, from that glory day of anime. And do you feel that? the contents of Her Eternal Moonlight are going to be different from these other novels that were published in the early 2000s that were more close to that bubble? I would actually say yes. Uh, If I may, Bonnie? Yes. Um, The thing is, we're looking, first of all, at the fans and the impact on their lives. And what we needed to do was not just talk to them, but the time gap between when it started and they first encounter this, and the long-term repercussions in their lives is really something that we wanted to examine. It's not a fandom as a snapshot per se. It's fandom as a timeline for a group of fans in a series that is sometimes almost, I wouldn't say ignored, but seen as background noise. So we're looking at the long-term effects that really affected people. Now, can you elaborate on that at all? I think it would be really interesting if you could uh, go into deeper detail about some of these effects that, uh, that, that Sailor Moon has had on people. And I think that it's, it will give you a really good opportunity to connect with some of the listeners who maybe also share similar experiences. One thing we found is that being involved in Sailor Moon fandom had an awfully big effect on some people's um, life choices, on their career choices. Oh. Um, We've had people say that they chose their careers because of um, an interest in Japan or because um, Sailor Moon inspired them to take their lives in a certain direction. Like, for instance, one woman we interview um, said that because of Usagi, she was inspired to help people and she became a sexual abuse prevention counselor. Yes. Um, Yeah. 
it and there were people who weren't able to make friends before who made friends as a result of Sailor Moon that have lasted the friendships have lasted all their lives a marriage in fact at least one in our interviews yeah and he's not and, even kidnapped or knocked him or he's not even amnesiac <laughs> but he does have a Sailor Jupiter tattoo <laughs> dedication yes and a nerve tattoo try that one on for size <laughs> But it, I also I would say that yeah we saw a lot of people are really changed by this because though we're used to it now, Sailor Moon for its fans when it first hit in America was like nothing they'd ever seen. The design, the continuing plot, the characters, the flawed heroines. So the show is very different from the start, and now it seems almost standard. But when it appeared, it was this entirely new thing. And when it hit people, it hit them really, really hard. And we are feeling that impact to this day. Now, um, I, sorry to interrupt you. I, I've talked to a lot of different people about uh, their experiences with anime and how, how anime has influenced them. And this, this seems to span a lot of different types of, of properties. I've talked to people who have been influenced by Hajime no Ippo, yeah. uh, Dragon Ball Z, all kinds of different types of material that that made it on tv in some form or fashion um do you do you do you feel like sailor moon uh is applies sort of a different influence on people that another show that was highly viewed on toonami like say cowboy bebop or outlaw star you know might have had well i'd say yes because for so many women we talked to it was the first time they'd gotten real female heroines where he was, as someone said, is Power Rangers for girls. That was new to them. This was a revelation to them. You know, part of the holy trinity of Buffy, Xena, Sailor Moon. See, the thing is, when Sailor Moon was first on American television, there was not a hell of a lot of stuff that was pitched to young women um, with a strong and diverse cast of female characters. So it is a bit different, I would say, than people who watched, say, Gundam Wing. Now, granted, Gundam Wing may have had influence on people in other ways, but it did not have, shall we say, the deeper impact that Sailor Moon did because these young women identified so strongly with these characters. Oh, yeah. A lot of these women that we interviewed reported that they really saw mirrors of themselves in the senshi, and it was the first time they had seen someone on television who looked like a mirror of them. And it's amazing to see these people talk about, you know, I related to Sailor Jupiter, I related to Sailor Mercury, I related to Sailor Moon, I related to Luna, you know, and I think my favorite, I related to Chibiusa, which is quite a confession when you think about it. But I think the timing it had with this diverse cast, for these people ready for it, at the time the internet was becoming more prominent, produced this incredible synergy that left long-lasting impact. It's like, I guess, Bonnie, it's like we said, it was like an Ur fandom, like Sailor Moon fandom was almost the template for women and for fandom in general with the effects we've seen in other fandoms. Yes, um, Sailor Moon was responsible, in our viewpoint, for getting enormous amounts of women into anime who otherwise would not have been into anime. Now, you have noted, or I've noticed that you do say, in your opinion, with regards to the contents of this book, 
Is it purely just the 30 fans and your observations, or is there any other studies that you draw from or outside research? We have a few we comment on, but we mostly just decided to try to get this kind of, I guess we call it a psychological travelogue. Okay. So that what we did not do, this is not a scientific piece, let's be honest here. What this is is like the equivalent of doing interviews to get an impression of something. We do look at a few books on anime history, but when we did our research, we didn't find anything that had the personal touch, which is what we were looking for. Of course. One thing we do hope, though, that we want to see is that we want to see people follow up research on Sailor Moon and other quote-unquote older fandoms. Um, different views, more scientific application, because I don't think they're really appreciated and appreciated in the wide you know, scope they should be for what they've done for popular culture and for people. We're just, you know, one more step towards understanding. Now, what do you see as the impact of Sailor Moon extending outside of the anime culture and the anime fandom? I, I don't think it can be argued, of course, its impact on the people who loved it the most. But how did you, did you get any information with how you think or the interviewees responded to how it impacted things beyond the anime fandom? Do you feel that it, it paved the way for new anime to get on TV or that it changed certain narratives or marketing to young girls or forged a new niche market? Is there anything like that that this book touches on? Well, at the end of the book, we do include a chapter about um, properties in America that we believe were directly influenced by Sailor Moon. Uh, we do touch on how Sailor Moon led to the expansion of American animation into series with diverse casts of female characters like Sailor Moon had. And the two series that we cite are My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and Steven Universe. And additionally, one of the um, interviewees pointed out what she believed to be Sailor Moon influence on uh, modern superheroes. Uh, Squirrel, she noted Squirrel Girl, Miss Marvel. Um, she's a librarian, and she noted that she felt there was influence on these. Um, the theory Bonnie and I are going on is that Sailor Moon sort of planted seeds that are blossoming a lot in the last decade. When you look at at the chain, at the more female-oriented comics, My Little Pony, Steven Universe, we're seeing like the magical girl seeds blossom. Kind of good timing with Crystal too. Did you touch on Crystal in this manuscript? Because that was a incredibly controversial remake. <laughs> Uh, That's an understatement. Our without our personal discussions on Crystal Bonnie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we've had our own pointed discussions. Uh, we touch on we touch on it a bit. Um, I'd say not a huge amount of our interviewees discussed Crystal. Um, not everyone likes it. You're, you're quite right. It it was divisive for some people, from the purity to the uh, changes to the horrible pacing in some episodes, I won't lie. But I don't think we went, we didn't really get into it very deep. Crystal did not come up for a lot of people. Actually, more of our interviewees mentioned the uh, Deke dub than anything else, because that's how they first encountered the series. And <laughs> as, as controversial as the Deke dub is, um, you can't really deny that if it hadn't existed, 
the whole Sailor Moon phenomenon wouldn't have happened. I think people tolerate the um, choices in the dub from the Sailor Says to the donuts that look suspiciously like rice balls because a lot of the series did get through a lot of its original content, even when suddenly people changed things or decided cousins would have relationships like that. Somehow a lot of the spirit got through. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of affection for that initial dub, even though people complain about it. Did anyone talk about going back and rewatching the series <laughs> as adults? Because I know for me, I have anime that I, I admit I was more in the Dragon Ball crowd than the Sailor Moon crowd. I, I loved both, but but if I had to pick one, I was definitely in the Dragon Ball camp. And I, I go back and I'll watch the original Dragon Ball Z and, and even Sailor Moon and... I, I watch it and and yeah, it hits right in that great nostalgia spot. But now that I'm rewatching it as an adult, I also have those things where it's like, whoa, this is not nearly as good as I thought it was. <laughs> and I'm wondering if there were any respondents like that where where they they look at the series and they're they're thankful for it and they're grateful for it and it changed their life, but they're they're excited about something new in the future or they see certain progress that has been made in the anime narrative that encompasses the magical girl space. Hmm. I would say we definitely encountered some people, Bonnie, that would go and you know note that one person noted that the show was both wasn't the greatest show but was good. People are aware of the flaws. But I think there's also affection for the original thing they saw because it was so formative. So there's often acknowledgments of its imperfection, and several fans we talked to had moved on to other fandoms. But there's often affection there for that first for that show and what it meant for them. Um, we did have one person that talked about um, when she was a kid, she was in a Sailor Moon club, and that was an informal group of friends that would get together to watch the show every day. And then as adults, they still get together to watch the show, and this time they can laugh at its flaws. <laughs> well, but they still enjoy it. One person um, we uh, interviewed uh, goes by the hand, I believe it's Sailor Moon live tweet. Um, what she decided to do, um, apparently due to you know a strange form of kind of insan you know insanity, Sailor Moon you actually go to Twitter at Sailor Moon live tweet. She watched everything. Oh man! It, and and tweeted about it and posted screenshots. I think my favorite is tuxedo mask on a um, a phone pole, and she subtitled it. I had to climb halfway up this telephone pole first. <laughs> uh, he did get to high spots. He had a thing, but um, even she would acknowledge. You know, it's goofy, but has a certain charm, and it's funny if you followed her Twitter. And then when he interviewed her. Um, she really developed a lot of affection for the show. You know, flawed as it may have been, there's just a lot of affection. But seeing someone encounter it as older is fascinating. Of course. And, and writing this book, I rewatched some episodes, and I'm like, wow, I don't remember that. So it might be, that was pretty good, followed by, did I really just watch an episode with a alien cat and a fat earth cat? And I don't know what I'm seeing anymore. <laughs> I think I think many anime fans have said that at many an occasion. I don't know what I'm seeing anymore. Well, I, I would, yeah, you watch Dragon Ball Z. Let's be honest. Oh too. yeah. So where you're going like, really, honestly, <laughs> did you 
see this why isn't piccolo the hero are we uh, are we still it's still it's still exploding okay got it <laughs> i'll be back in five minutes frieza let me know when you're done <laughs> and my my major experience with dbz is my roommate turned me on to dbz abridged which is the great way to get oh. it condensed but is really way too close to the original series <laughs> especially their v i'm like going did they change vegeta at all <laughs> that is but, that is very true. So how did think, you? Oh, sorry. Continue. One thing that I think Sailor, the thing with Sailor Moon, we noted, and Bonnie and I call this out in the beginnings. It's really kind of this fairy tale. So there's a part of it that's always a little weird and always timeless. So it's a very strange thing about it in that there's always something strange, but that oddness, that sense of disconnect, that timelessness, uh, works too. I think fairy tale is a is a very kind of interesting way to describe Sailor Moon that I've I've personally never thought about because I I don't know I just never made that connection. One of the things that I'm curious about was how did you how did you find the people whom you interviewed for <laughs> for this because I, I I figure you went to conventions I I think I gathered that but d did you walk around with a sign at a convention like free hugs do you want to talk about Sailor Moon um, <laughs> nobody no one should walk around with a sign saying free hugs and talk about Sailor Moon and not expect security to talk to you yes that is <laughs> that is very true which which would have brought me to the question how did this book get done if that's what you did um, but I we asked I, everyone we knew to send us folks. Okay. And just networked like crazy. Okay. That's we we also put some some feelers out on a couple of Sailor Moon sites, and um, we contacted people who did Sailor Moon blogs and podcasts. Makes and, complete sense. And then yeah. they sent other people to us. We figured basically the spray and play method, spray and pray method, would give us a pretty diverse cast wouldn't necessarily tie us to one geographic location. So, um, you know, that's what we did. You know, the, in fact, we sum it up, look, interview people, read interviews, look for patterns, write book. <laughs> Let me ask sort of a different question. How does it feel knowing that for years to come, college students that, have, that are in the anime fandom who will whom will inevitably choose anime as a topic for at least one research paper. Mitsuki, stop talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be using Research Sailor Moon. Yes. We'll I be using your book, amongst others, as source material for their writings. Small. Well, I would say that would be very flattering to know that somebody considered us an ac academic source. Because um, we, we did not go about this as an academic project. It was sort of, I don't know if I want to say entirely a fun thing, but it was like, this needs to be done, let's do it. I, I feel kind of humbled because um, uh, when you're done doing this research um, and we see how it impacted people, I, Bonnie knows it just, it makes me feel kind of, I feel kind of weird because I, it's humbling. The uh, first time I presented on this at KrakenCon and people started sharing their stories and I'm just standing there in the shadow of this big social phenomena. Yeah, and if someone cites my book and I find out I'm in some paper, I'll be flattered, but it's going to just feel very humbling. 
One of the things that I'd be curious to know is is oftentimes as you interview people, you you kind of find that there's a question that always gets a good response. Did you have any questions that were your favorites to ask and any notable responses that you want to share? I mean, I know that that you shared some of them with, you know, how it impacted marriages and, and future career choices. But was was there anything that just sticks out to you as being incredibly touching or incredibly hilarious? I'd say, Bonnie, when we asked what character do you relate to, it was always fun. Yes. Yes. When we asked people what character do you relate to, we got some terrific responses. Because um, for some people, they were literally talking about a voyage of self-discovery. Others, it was like silly little things no one thought about, like the person who related to Luna. You know, we all, some people relate to that person trying to keep the group of maniacs together. Did anybody in their responses to your questions ever dive into their interest in the live-action Sailor Moon? A little bit. Yeah, we had some of it. Um, the real hardcore fans like everything. We did have one person talk about um, not the live-action, but the musicals. She actually got involved with a troupe that uh, recreated the musicals at cons. Oh, that's incredible. That's very oh, yeah, that's it's pretty neat. The musicals are also just wonderfully crazy to watch. Um, we used to actually run some at a small local convention our friends ran, and every year we get a new one. But yeah, these people do whole productions. So, oh yeah, the, the live stuff one way or another influenced some people. I'd say, I say that um, it was always the first show was the big one, and then people would talk about Crystal after that. Musicals and live shows didn't get as much discussion among the people we talked to. Were most of the people that you spoke to still current anime fans, or were they very much into anime, Sailor Moon, but then kind of, that was that was it for them? That, not to say that it wasn't impactful or anything, but that, that was really their experience with anime, and then they grew away from it. Or was it a mix of kind of both of those types of people? Mm. Well, I'd I say... Oh, go ahead, Bonnie. Oh, we're, st we're doing it again. Sometimes we talk about the same thing at the same time. We've known each other too long. Go on, Bonnie. Um, most of the people we talked to were still active in fandom of some sort. Um, most of them were in some kind of anime fandom. Some of them had moved on to um, Western-based fandoms. Like one woman we spoke to had moved into the Doctor Who fandom. Um, but most of them did stick with some kind of fandom. And when we asked them, are you still a Sailor Moon fan? Why or why not? Um, there were some that said that they that it was part of their past, but most of them said that to at least some extent they were still involved in the fandom. And we still had people that are Sailor Moon fans to this day. Cosplaying, one woman has been tattooing all the senshi on her arms. So there's some serious hardcore fans to this day. Wearing the lingerie? <laughs> no, we, we didn't ask that question, nor did we plan to. We <laughs> limits and our dignity. Uh, if, 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 you, if you made it out of anime cons with your dignity, you, sir, are, are a better person than I. because. Well, no, excuse me. I dressed as Mayor Dewey for anime, so we're going to have to debate that dignity thing. <laughs> I usually check mine at the door. 
Well, I, hey, look, I'm just thrilled to find something a 40-something-year-old bureaucrat can cosplay by basically going to his closet and finding clothes. <laughs> On my long, slow slide to someday cosplaying Grunkle Stan by just dressing my normal way. <laughs> I just became a great uncle, so I'm watching Gravity Falls going, Grunkle, great, now I know what I'm going to be called in 10 years. At least, at least you're already preparing for it now. I, I think ahead. It's what I do for a living. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about the contents of the book at this point? I would actually say the thing that, <clears throat> that I like, Bonnie, what I'd want them to know is we really look at the whole narrative of how it affected people. So though it's important about women in Sailor Moon, I think it also teaches a lot about the, the fandom narrative that occurs in so many lives. It's very archetypical. And I think you can see the depth of what it can mean. And that's something I want people to take away. I want people to look at this book and not just read it, not just quote it, not just buy it as a Christmas gift or whatever. I want them to go write their own book in their fandom. I want them to share that depth with others. I want them to take that away too. Bonnie? Yeah, I think that we want people to be able to look at this this thing that so many people have just sort of overlooked over the years and take a closer look at it and see just what it was and what it did. Because as we note in the book, Sailor Moon has sort of become pop culture wallpaper. A lot of the anime books that we looked at in the process of researching this book barely mentioned it, like gave it a couple of paragraphs. Um, we want to sort of restore Sailor Moon to the point of prominence and, you know, to show that something that seems small and trivial to a lot of people isn't small and trivial at all. I think it's like we almost forget how prominent it is in history. And it is. And it had meant so much to female fans and was so foundational. But we take it for granted. And that's something we definitely shouldn't be doing because it is it is an amazing show for sure. And it it deeply impacted many lives and it's for sure changed the landscape of anime, both in Japan and in the West. So her many shows do. If, if I could for a moment, you're a DBZ fan. And though people just, you know, joke about 30 episode fight sequences and a narrator clearly on medication, um, <laughs> it was very foundational and is. It's easy to forget this stuff. We shouldn't. Definitely. So her eternal moonlight, what is, where is a website that has information or anything that someone who's curious about the book can go to and learn more? Ironically, you can go to hereternalmoonlight.com. Wow. And uh, it will redirect to a press page I have. Um, it's, I have a site already for my other books. So Bonnie and I put up a page there and it's going to be dropping, uh, very end of the month, very first few days of October, depending on how the schedule goes. So just go there and you can find out more. And there is a newsletter subscription, everyone. So be sure to subscribe to the newsletter because, mm -hmm. trust me, authors like it when you do that. It makes them happy. And where will Her, or her Eternal Moonlight be available? It will be available on Amazon.com and any bookstore that decides to carry it. Hint, talk to your local bookstore. Yes, and request from your local library. That's something that is surprisingly easy to do and most people don't realize. And I want to call something out uh, for Bonnie and I. I want to call out our editor, Kaylin, who did an incredible job editing because without her, this would have been less fun. 
And our artist, um, Jennifer from at dancingheron.com. If you can, if you go to the page, you will see um, this incredible cover that she did. It looks like a piece of Greek sculpture, and it's amazing. And Jennifer Cox did this incredible job, and I really want to thank her for the work she did. I, I admit, I had, I, I was scrolling through her portfolio for a little bit of this, and it is incredibly impressive. So, Bonnie, remember how we decided to use her? <laughs> yes, we, we found her booth at Fanime. <laughs> and I was like, I'd make a great book cover if we do this book. Hey, we're doing a book. Let's talk to Jennifer. Um, we're, we're already planning another book on pop culture, and Jennifer is pretty much number one for the cover for that, too. Well, her art is stunning, so I can hardly blame you for it. All right. Well, once more, this was authors Stephen Savage and Bonnie Walling. And the book is Her Eternal Moonlight. Go to HerEternalMoonlight.com, get the information, sign up for the newsletter, look for it at the end of this month on Amazon.com, and don't forget to request it in your local library or bookstore. And thank you both so much for joining us on our show. Thank you for having us. We re I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to okay. you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.